We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, everybody. What is going on? How you doing? Welcome to a special Wednesday Finer Wings Club edition of Talking Buffalo Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Network. I'm your host, Patrick Moran. Thank you very much, as always, for locking in today. And for the first time in, gosh, it's like August, I got one of these things going on. Finer Wings Club, we are taping this live tonight at Imperial Pizza, South Buffalo. I am joined by two uh, good friends of mine, two people I like a lot from the Buffalo Sports Media. Two guys have been on this show before. John Scott, Spectrum News, Matt Perino, NerdGup.com. What's going on, guys? How you doing? Doing well. Full. <laughs> We're going to get into that in a second. <laughs> Dude, you came, you came dressed to impress. You I did. I'm kind of embarrassed that I didn't have... Uh, I was going to... You know what I should have done is I should have worn uh, some type of head, you know... <laughs> I don't know it either. All right. Let, let, let me lay this out, too. People are listening if they're not watching this and they're saying, what the hell are you guys talking about? <laughs> we are going to. So I'm going to give a spoiler alert now. There's going to be a point later in the podcast where we're going to talk a little bit of Cobra Kai season four or just the whole series in general. When we get to that point, I'll let people know ahead of time. That way, if they haven't seen it and they plan on seeing it or they're going to start the series from scratch, they can kind of tune out. So we'll talk about that later. But what Matt's referencing is this really cool T-shirt, Cobra Kai shirt that John Scott's got on, man. It, he bought dope. this special for this occasion. Yeah, so I was in Cleveland for a Cavs game the other day over the weekend, and one of my – actually, no. My number one T-shirt go-to is Homage, is this place out of Ohio. And they happen to have a store in Cleveland. This is one of their shirts. Uh, they do a Cobra Kai kind of line of sorts, and I'm like, I got to get one for the show if I know that we're <laughs> going to talk about it. And I love the sh- I love the store, so it was kind of bringing me back to, to combining both worlds. Yeah, well, Matt and I are definitely jealous. So, again, we are here at Imperial Pizza, 1035 Abbott Road, South Buffalo, and before we started taping, we tore up some wigs, man. And we, we got to talk about these. Now, by the way, this is... Again, this is the first Fighter Wings Club episode I've done in a couple months. There's just been a lot of stuff going on. But this, and this is the first place that I've come back to for a second time. I had Nate Gary and Marcel here a couple months ago. Now I got Matt and John with me. And I, I want to talk about these wings. And I, and I mentioned Marcel for a reason because we tried three different types of wings. We did, let me make sure I get these right now, honey mustard barbecue. We did, uh, what else did we do? Loganberry. Loganberry barbecue. 
and we did Chevetta's medium, a, a blend of Chevetta's and medium. I wanted to pay homage right here at the top to Marcel with the honey, uh, honey mustard barbecue. He loved those. Those are among his favorites. Now, anyway, I'm not going to sit here and bore people with my take on these wings because I've had them before, and everybody knows I'm, I'm a big fan uh, of their wings here and this place. So let's talk about them. Like, what wings here that we just tried did you like? I mean, I thought all three were banging. My favorite was the honey mustard barbecue. Sure, yeah. And as someone who doesn't like the drink, Loganberry, right. the Loganberry barbecue also smacked hard. And what I really liked is the sauce is so thick. It coats the wings so yeah. well that you don't even need to really double dip from the plate. It just is, is coated so well that you get great flavor. I had blue cheese. I rarely use it because the flavor just hits so hard. Yeah. This is a tough town to do pit wings in because Elmo's is like the standard, right? Like sure. it sets the standard double dip, the honey mustard there. I remember going with Marcel to Elmo's a couple years ago and him having the honey mustard there and him just being blown away by it. These hold up to that. Yeah. I, Elmo's, I have a special place in my heart for Elmo's. I've been going there for decades. Those might have been better, man. Like wow. that's that's crazy to say, but those honey mustard that it's it hit a perfect note. But the Loganberry, I when you texted me Loganberry wings, I said, "Come on, man! Like right. I can't eat those and put those over on a podcast. Like there's no way people are gonna be thinking I'm nuts." Get to Imperial, get the Loganberry yeah. wings. You are gonna be blown away. And like to John's point, it doesn't matter from wing one to wing ten. The sauce stays. Plentiful. Yeah. It was cooked perfectly all the way around. In and like the Chevetta's wing, like I'll say like I'm a big Chevetta's fan, but up against those two other ones, yeah. it was it was a tough race to be running. But I still thought that they were really good. I would recommend trying them. They were good. You know what I would say about the Chevetta's medium? I'll use a, a Levi Wallace reference that I've talked about on this podcast a lot this year. People would say Levi Wallace was the weak link of the secondary, and technically that's true, but Levi Wallace was the weak link of the Bills secondary this year because you have Trey White on the secondary, and you have Jordan Jordan Poyer, and you have Micah Hyde, and you have Teron Johnson, so kind of by de default, Levi Wallace was the weak link. That's how I feel about the Chevettes. I That's I, perfect. When you're surrounded by all pros, yeah, <laughs> right. even being good <laughs> right. is being bad, right? Right. Did you see his average annual salary projection from SpotTrack.com? Yeah, yeah. Almost $10 million a season. I love those guys. That's that's crazy talk. Yeah. It is, and he's not going to get that, I don't think. He'll get – I think he'll get $8 million. I don't know if you want to get into the bill stuff yet, but if we're how much we're going to even get into bill stuff. But, you know, that's that's something that from the beginning of the offseason when the Bills lost to the Chiefs and I started kind of looking at that stuff, I'm like, whoa. But – yeah, like he's been a really, really solid corner that started a lot of games in this league, and those guys tend to get paid in that range. So it's not super shocking, but I think that it's going to be like a, if he resigns with the Bills, it's going to end up being like a Milano deal where he was projected to get like $15 million, but it landed somewhere at around eleven. That means Chevetta's medium would be the go-to at like two-thirds of the restaurants here in Buffalo. <laughs> so, I yes. mean, that tells you where Chevetta's medium is here at Imperial. If the projection is 10 mil for doing the Levi comparison here, uh, then most of the places around town you go to, that's that's your Loganberry barbecue <laughs> at those establishments. I, I want to say two things about Imperial. Number one, and, I, and I've talked about this place before, 
you guys have grown up different areas. I mean, obviously not for jazz up from Buffalo. Matt grew up in Western New York, but where you grew up, there's always one or two places in the area where you grew up. That's kind of like that staple. And for like South Buffalo Imperial is that staple. It's that place like everybody knows. I said there's two things about South Buffalo you can guarantee is Imperial Pizza and people walking around with Boston Celtics Larry Bird jerseys on. That's South Buffalo for you right there in a nutshell. But then the other thing, I and I told you guys about the food here, and this is my take on Imperial, is it's not any one specific thing that's elite. Like there's a lot of places in Western New York for food where you go somewhere, and we've talked about this many times, where you got one amazing thing. Like we talked about Sunny Reds. Matt and I have both eaten there before, and it's like they have – amazing i forgot what they're called the eric wood wings the parmesan right the garlic parmesan but you go there and you get sick of the same thing after a while i'm sure you've experienced this john where you got a couple places you love going to where you get one or two things the thing about this place is there's no one specific thing that's necessarily elite i call this like diet death by a thousand cuts because you can come here literally every single day of the week whether it's pizza and you guys both had some pizza as well some wings tacos subs Beef on whack. This place is just, it's really solid. It's steady across the board, no matter what you get. I'm embarrassed to say that I lived here for 30-ish years before I moved to Vegas. When I came back, and obviously a much bigger social presence, uh, a lot of more people in my mentions, if you will. Sure. They're like, Imperial is the go pizza. Like, you got to go there. And I was always like, all right, all right, all right. All right. We'll see. Like, there's a lot of go pizzas that I feel like Buffalo you know, you know, uh, I had Milano's back in the day. I love Bocce. Now I'm on Matina's and Pizza Works, which in the North Sounds. Imperial is in the go conversation. I had one slice of pizza. It's in the conversation. It hit all the right yeah. notes. This is my first time here. It's 15 minutes or, or less from where we live in Hamburg. Texted the wife the picture, and I'm like, we, this is this is in the rotation now. This is this is in the rotation of things that we got to do and. It really says something because you're so accustomed to going to almost anywhere around town and, and being overly satisfied with the food. But these wings especially are, are elevated into the pantheon. I mean, I, I honestly would probably consider them now top five, in my top five. I mean, yeah. that, that's where I would, I would put them. I'm a, I'm a Kelly's Corner truther. That, that's that's sure. my, North Buffalo, my yeah, OG yeah. spot. Uh, and Barbell and Elmo's and, and things like that. But th- this is definitely in the conversation of some of the best. Now, you grew up in Ohio. Right. Wings and pizza growing up, were they good there? Or was that all you knew and you thought they were good until you left? Right. That's where it is. I mean, they were fine. You, you could find some good flavors. One of the big things here that separates is the size of the wing. I mean, the, si- mm-hmm. the size of the wings here in Buffalo and Western New York are at least twice the size of what you'll get from like a Quaker steak and lube. That's where sure. I went in high school. All you can eat on Tuesday nights as a 16, 17 year old. All right, I'm gonna go pound 50, 60 wings for 10 bucks and get away from my parents because that's cool to do when you're a teenager. But those wings, while some of their flavors are good, they, they don't they don't hold court to, yeah. to things like here. Winking Lizard in Cleveland is a local establishment. I work there for a bit of time as a waiter. And they have really good wings, but I usually go boneless with them. Like their wings themselves, they got great flavors. But again, nothing, nothing holds true to, to buffalo wings, and it's amazing. Some places over elevate their local things, their local go-tos. Sure. But when people come here, if they're led properly, 
and you don't even even if you go to the the generic normal places like my boy favorite Duff's over here, you're gonna get a really really good <laughs> win. Get out. Get out. Oh, we got a new we got a new trick by the way. What's that for Duff's? We make, we were getting takeout obviously during the pandemic much more uh, takeout from Duff's, and we get them home and we were like a ten minute drive from the place and it was hit or miss like if they were either too soggy or not cooked right. So what my wife started doing is ordering them plain and the sauce on the side and then saucing them at home. Mm -hmm. Game changer. Really? Yep. Fresh. Like they, they, they hit just the right way. I don't know. You'd think that you need them to sauce it the right way, but for whatever reason doing takeout that way, it just works. Yeah. Now it's funny. Matt and I have talked about this before in the pod. We're from this area. So we grew up here. You kind of almost, you take not even just wings. I don't want to just limit it to wings. It's just, Buffalo food, Western New York food, you kind of take it for granted because mm-hmm. it's, you know, you grew up, you've had it. It's right. not until you live somewhere else, I think, where you really start to appreciate it even more. Like you were out in Vegas. I went down to Florida for five years and I couldn't find good wings to save my life. And it was very rare where I even had like adequate pizza. I mean, the pizza could be, you know, it was edible, but like the wings are just, it was garbage. It was trash. Mm-hmm. And then you start to realize just how good the wings are. Like even if you come to a place like Imperial, and you're like, all right, well, I like these wings, but, you know, I also like 20 other places just as much. Like, mm-hmm. they're all in that same conversation. You take any of these places and you go to – you put you put an Imperial Pizza in Ohio or Las Vegas or Florida and people will stab each other yeah. to, go, to go eat there. You know what I mean? It's just so many good outlets here to, to have these type of, you know, just good meals, man. You take it for granted. Ohio, Cleveland, where I grew up, chains. I mean, that's where it yeah, is. And Florida that too. is the the amazing thing that really showcases the local talent of the restaurant and food food business around here is this is where chains come to die. I mean, you can't survive. They're, they don't exist. Meanwhile, like my wife from Hamburg, growing up and, and you know, being a young professional in Ohio, in small towns, Buffalo Wild Wings is where we went. It's where we hung out. It was like a staple almost everywhere I went. That is blasphemy in this town. Whenever I mention it or my wife is like, dude, what is wrong with you? Why does why do you think that that's a good place? Or pizza places like my hometown at Domino's and Pizza Hut and Papa John's. We had one local spot that I thought was good. Those places don't even exist around here anymore. <laughs> no. And that's again, that, that just is a, a true showcase and indication of kind of what you're saying is People have to go all over the country, and they usually thrive on chains. Like when you're, you know, what are we gonna get for pizza? We're gonna go to Papa John's or whatever it may be. Here, those places just can't survive because they're you're fighting even amongst great local establishments. Sure, yeah, I I completely agree. And I think there's a handful of places that I would consider like destination places. I think you can get a decent to above average chicken wing pretty much anywhere. But then you got your places that like you'll take a ride to. Like you said, you live 15 minutes from here. Now that you've had wings here, I'm sure you'll come back again to have them. This yeah. is kind of like one of those destination-worthy places where it's worth the ride. I'm in a spot now, though, where I need to eat less chicken wings. Why? <laughs> and see, that's my problem. Like, living away from Buffalo, like, it forced us to find different things that we liked. True. Like, there was a lot of different things that we liked in Vegas that we can't get here now. And we like we were just talking about it the other day. Like my wife really wants to start a Cafe Rio um, chain here, like or like a franchise here. And if you're not familiar with it, it's like it's like a Mexican type of place. It's kind of like a Chipotle, but it's like a high end Chipotle. Like they have really good meats, fresh meats, 
Like they make their own uh, tortillas like on site. And it's just like in those kinds of areas, like Mexican food is just better wherever you go. And like, you know, we have like a couple places around here. Taco Rio Los Miles is really good. She goes there a lot. But um, it's funny. Like we get back here and like I look back at my Vegas days and I'm like, man, I was like 15 pounds lighter living in vegas like what happened oh that's right i eat pizza and wings like at least once a week here and that's 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 the problem unless i mean mean, it is what it is but (laughs) it's very hard to live here and eat good it is it's very difficult rachel's mediterranean grill is about the only takeout (laughs) that you can kind of get and consistently eat healthy and that's only if you're doing carbless like like if i get the bowls but i love their pitas man so like I'll throw the pita on there, and then it's like my wife was actually just talking about this the other day. My wife's here, by the way. She's watching off to the side. She came just for the wings. I love your wife. <laughs> she's become one of my best friends on social media. I, I she's, have she's many awesome. conversations with her on Twitter. A lot of um, pop culture stuff. I love yeah. it. If you, yeah, uh, Lucky Rose mom. She'll. Uh, she doesn't have a lot of sports takes, but she's got a lot of takes on everything else. <laughs> <laughs> I like you were doing a podcast last week and she was kind of texting you and critiquing it. Oh, I told her, stop <laughs> fucking doing that. Like I, t- I listened. No. Yeah. No. We are allowed to swear. We're allowed to swear. <laughs> she said, <laughs> to about to- my wife was uh, uh, a seventh, eighth grade uh, history teacher for years. Uh, so that, that was the teacher coming out. In there. Um, but no, she'll text me in the middle of the podcast. Now, one of the things I tell my editor all the time, like I need a producer for the podcast. I'm producing the show. People don't realize that. Like one one guy was like, "Hey, like I wish you'd kind of pay more attention to Ryan during the show." It's like, yeah, I wish I could too, but I'm producing the whole thing. So while you're watching this live and we're having this conversation, I'm doing all the behind the scenes. I'm monitoring the comments. I'm making sure everything's going out and and operating right on all the social media platforms. So like I'm I gotta kind of do a lot of things. So I'm like multitasking. And so she texts me and she's like. What did you say? You said, oh no, she said, um, she said, um, you're saying um a lot today. Or you're stuttering a lot today or something like that. I'm like, <laughs> thanks, honey. <laughs> thanks. John, I wanted to ask you, I, I've had you on the show before, but we didn't get a chance to talk about this last time. You're married to somebody, of course, Heather Prusak, I'm talking about Channel 4. What is it like being married to somebody who's in the same field as you and you're covering the same sports, the same team in the same city, different outlets, obviously in some way it's kind of network competition. But I mean, again, you guys are husband and wife, your best friends, obviously, and stuff like that. Just talk a little bit about what it's like to to work with your wife in the same industry. Forget about the whole competition. None of that shit matters. But just working in the same industry as your wife. Best friend, depending upon the day, of course. Anyone who's (laughs) married, we all know that. I love Um, Heather, man. uh, I mean, it's... It's cool in the sense of we both understand each other each other's schedules. So sure. when a game goes long or a press conference goes long or you just have a lot of work, we both understand how that goes. We both understand the irregularities of a schedule and working nights and weekends and holidays and all of that stuff. So that's really good. Um, it's nice, although it certainly COVID has changed it a little bit. But sure. We sat next to each other for Bills games. Um, so that was cool to be able to once again do that. And, um, you know, like some people have asked us from a competitive standpoint, we're both very competitive and, and very much, you know, take our job seriously. Sure. That never has really been an issue, to be honest with you. Yeah, sometimes, you know, she'll get a story or I'll get a story or, or things like that. We don't discuss certain things. And honestly, 
I'm more apt to watch sports at home than she is. A lot of times she's like, no, I'm good. You know, but I'll be like, Monday Night Football, well, my fantasy team, I need to watch this. But she's like, I'm over it. We've done a full weekend or a week plus of football. I'm over it. But, yeah, from a dynamic standpoint of, yeah, of sharing, not sharing things, but there's, we haven't really ever come across an issue of the lines being blurred in regards to any any issues of, you know, she got a story once when we were at the MAC tournament, Nate Oates, when he was UB's head coach, becoming, you know, getting a contract extension, ironically, right before he left for Alabama. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. No, we weren't married at the time, but we were we were together. And, uh, you know, it wasn't an issue. I was happy that she got she got the scoop. But, you know, if sometimes I get information, sometimes she'll get information. We're, we're connected with different people. Uh, but by and large, it, it, there, there really are no hiccups work-related. And it's just cool that we get to share the same experiences at the same places. We, we have a cool in our office at our house. We have a bunch of pictures that we took together of different stadiums that we've been together. Or March Madness, we've been together. And we put up two shadow boxes of all of our credentials from oh, our cool. career. And it's just kind of cool to see... You know, I've been in the industry longer, but we both have different paths and they've, they've crossed. And honestly, it's the reason we're married. I mean, that's that's how I somehow convinced her to go on a date with me and not think I'm an idiot and ultimately <laughs> marry me. So I, I don't I still don't know how, but I, I mean, the, I got to give it give it credit. The real dynamic that's going to be fun to watch is when there's a sound of little feet pattering <laughs> in the Scott household uh. and how they manage all of that, because I talk about it with Caitlin all the time. Like, it will be challenging, like, I feel like, because, you know, I'm lucky in the sense that, like, she's so understanding of my job and my career. It's so 24-7. And, like, where you guys are at right now, it's like, I mean, I guess we don't need to get into that Dr. Philly or anything. But, like, (laughs) like, it's great. Like, when you, like, two, like, like, you know, you don't have kids. Like, you can kind of do your own thing. But there's a lot of times when I just, like, news breaks or something happens and I just basically throw my, you know, our entire world on Caitlin and she's got to kind of do everything, which can be tough. Um, I mean, you got to be friends and be understanding of each other too. And that's important. But the dynamics of anybody who works with anybody else in media, whether you're both in media or not, like it's, it's a challenge. Like it's things I see challenging all the time that I never even anticipated. She does yell at me and say that I'm on Twitter too much. Yeah. I mean, Gosh. honestly, in our in our industry, you, it's twenty four seven. I mean, yeah. there's no stopping. And sometimes, you know, we're sitting there on the couch, and I'll just mindlessly just refresh and scroll through the timeline. That that is one thing that that I don't think I do it as much as she says I do. But the wife is always right. You gotta you gotta be really good friends. I would imagine. I I don't know. So I'm asking you this. I I guess you have to be really good friends to be able to work in the same industry with somebody as well, because especially when you're love with somebody, you're married, you have your home life, your personal life, you guys do a lot of stuff outside of your jobs, outside of sports, and then you're also working together. Um, like the best relationships on earth, I think, maybe I'm wrong, but like, even you know, when it's the man or the woman going out and working separate jobs or whatever, you kind of have that wait time. You guys are t- together a lot, like not just socially, but also professionally as well. You right, know I mean? and now, 
she hasn't been around the Bills, and certainly COVID has changed this. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. When we were in the building at One Bills Drive all the time, that was different. COVID, you know, it's more remote and things like that. She's not up there every single day as much as she was when she worked at Channel 2. Um, so that that's some separation there. Um, I, in what the Bills allowed us to do in working up in the press box after practices, I'm a creature who, even though we have a home office, I just work better on location when I'm not at home where I can get away and walk down the stairs for five minutes and play with Otto and just get distracted or whatever. She chose to work at home a lot more. I chose to work at the stadium a lot more. Mm -hmm. So that kind of gave us a little bit of space and we have worked better at, all right, we're cutting it off here with no more work time, no more work talk. Obviously if you get it, if a tweet pops or yeah, happens, or a text right. something, then then you know we, we got to get to it. But uh, we we've gotten pretty good. I know some of the people on the Bills found it humorous, especially if it worked out sequentially on Zooms, where I would ask a question, then she would be next, or she would ask a question, then I would be next, and they'd be curious of the dynamic of where we each are in the house uh, <laughs> over the past couple of years. That's that's been a fun thing. I know Sean's brought it up before of like. Are you both in the same house? What are you doing? Are you next to each other? And we are on separate floors. I've always been upstairs and she'll always be downstairs. But. Speaking of Sean, everybody's, you know, the Bills fans probably watch his press conferences. He's not a very uh, outgoing or dynamic person in these settings. But on the Zoom calls, you, it's some of the most surprising moments over the years on Zoom have been him picking out things that are going on with people on Zoom. I did one from a spot co- from the spot coffee in uh, in the village of Orchard Park, and he was like, "Is that you? Uh, 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 are you at Spot Coffee?" And I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "What did you get?" I said, "A Mike sandwich." He's like, "Mike sandwich. I love me a Mike sandwich." I'm like, "Sean, we're really connecting here. We're really really bonding." The next press conference was was pretty vanilla, but we we, we always have our Mike sandwich. He said something at the end of the year. Heather was trying to get an answer out of him. And he was like, oh, you're really trying to get something. And, and she's like, well, you know, you know, I just got to keep trying. And then he, I wasn't even like asking a question, but he knew I was on. And he goes, good luck, John. <laughs> <laughs> We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let me ask you this. So this year, it's still not where you want to be in terms of COVID and protocols and stuff like that, obviously. It's not where you want to be. But this was an improvement to 2020 in terms of your access and things you guys were able to do professionally. How much was it a a step for you this year? Again, obviously, there's still a ways to go. But was your job, was doing your job a little bit easier this year than it was last year? Yes. Just from what he was mentioning, like being able to be on site, and being around the players again, even to a lesser degree, being able to have one-on-ones with players, mm-hmm. like not on a virtual setting was like a complete, like just to have that back for me was an, was enough in a, in, in a year where we were trying to like get back as much of, of it as we can. I will say long-term, I have concerns about doing this job long-term without locker room access yeah. because the relationships that I built in those first two seasons as compared to the lack of them the last two seasons, you know, we talked about this on the podcast a bunch of times. Like, there's stories that I've broken that have come from a lot of, and like I'm going to um, Indianapolis in a couple of weeks for the scouting combine, which is, it, as it seems right now, is going to be pretty open. And I, I'm glad for that. Like, of course, I still have concerns about COVID and everything like that, but to do my job effectively, I need to be in those rooms in you know at the at the convention center i need to be at the bars you need to be talking to agents and uh scouts and players even that are there like those are how you kind of put together stories put together sources it's been impossible to do that over the last two years and i feel like those that have had connections already like a perfect example is a guy like ty dunn that's been in the business for like 10 years he's got connect his rolodex is will put 90% of the, the, the industries to shame. Sure. And so he was set up to kind of continue and build his own brand, which thankfully, Go Long is something that everybody should be subscribed to, the work that he does. Yeah. But for somebody like me that just got kind of back, started in this, in this industry and kind of starting from the ground up, it's been a struggle. For me, from a, a video standpoint, just to start, <clears throat> Zoom sucks. It's terrible. Yeah. It is absolutely terrible. And yeah, like Matt and I, we joke about my internet connection, not great, especially when Heather and I are both trying to do things at the same time. It's a nightmare. So that alone diminishes the quality. I mean, it's like a web stream. I mean, web streams, we've talked about it. It's just, it's not the same where I can get my camera, rip my lights out, and I, I take pride in the visual quality that I do. But to his point, even in the group setting but in person it just has a different vibe sure it's a completely different vibe one you're not feeling pressed in the all right i put my hand up so i get one maybe two questions and that's it it's just more of a natural flow it allows the players like it better the coaches like it better brandon bean said at the end of the year i am over zoom and i think we all are in in that capacity and then to his point about one-on-ones I did a bunch of one-on-ones and to just sit and have a conversation one-on-one face-to-face 
one of one of the better conversations I, I had was with Cody Ford before he got benched, but just discussing his path. And he was so open about tackle was never my position, which just was never my thing. Going mm-hmm. back and forth was was not great for my development. My confidence was shook, and you know things like that. You just don't get that, and um, and the relationship building is right. I mean, some relationships I had were able to survive COVID and and stay that way, but a lot of them you just you don't have the the continuous and and access and conversation. I mean, one of the things is my first four few years covering the team, 14, 15, 16. I was there most of the time, but it wasn't there all the time. And then when I fully went to the beat, I get most of my content on a Wednesday. And then Thursday and Friday, most of the time, I spent just talking to guys in the room. It wasn't with my camera and light and microphone. It was going up and just talking about things that had nothing even to do necessarily with the bills. And that helps you cultivate relationships, and that's where you get some some stories. Not a, go ahead. There's an important thing, too, about the Zoom environment. And this isn't a knock on anybody, but there's people that ask questions on Zoom that would never have the audacity to ask that question in a press conference setting sure. in a building. Absolutely. And like I said, that's not a knock on anybody. I don't have a problem with anybody in this market sure. at all. I know that there's been some combative <laughs> stuff on social media the last couple of weeks. Of course. Um, <laughs> the end of the season. Yeah. Um, and it's not just one person, mm-hmm. I'm, I, multiple people like, you know, there's there's certain people that, you know, you, you never even know that they went to press conferences before the Zoom started. And so that part of it, I think to move past that would be helpful because I think that it. It brings all the people in the room that should be asking the questions. It's they're asking the questions and there's a reason for that. Because, and this goes back to something I texted you about the other day. I tweeted out a story about Brian Dable when he got the job and mentioned at the end of it that I don't root for the Bills anymore because I'm, I grew up here. Sure. I was a diehard Bills fan my whole life. Mm-hmm. Something changes when you cover the team. You get paid to cover the team as a beat reporter. Whether or not you want it to change or not, it changes naturally. But even if it didn't, I'm a journalism professor. It would change no matter what. Sure. And there's a lot of people that like took issue with that. I wish you wouldn't have told me that or whatever. There's a dynamic in that in, in this back and forth that you, you can't be a fan, in my opinion, and do the job the right way. And this could kind of di- diverge into a whole bunch of different topics. But I think getting away from the Zoom environment brings us back to a place where the coverage of the team is healthier. That makes sense. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. And I wanted to ask you this too. You kind of, you, maybe you already did answer the question for me, but it's obvious that as reporters, you want as much access as possible for relationship building, everything you guys just talked about. But from the player's side, you guys both think players would prefer the way things used to be as well as compared to what it is now? Because some might say that, well, they don't have to be as accessible now. They could just do a quick Zoom or whatever and be done. Whereas in the locker room, it might be a different story. What do you think about the play? What do you think the players I think, I think some love it. I think, yes, it, it's not universal. I mm. think some like it. So, for instance, and, and I know this was discussed after the whole, after the Patriots game and things like that, there also is when you don't have locker room access, everyone has to ask their question in front of everyone else. So let's say I have a certain story that I'm working on that has n- 
this does not pertain to literally anyone else. Right. They have to the time that we are allotted on a Zoom call has to be taken up with questions that in a traditional setting in a locker room, I would just get them off to my to my own and wouldn't wouldn't waste the time right. of other people. And that's that's another dynamic here there. Now as for players, you know, I, I think I think they would like it one, because maybe they the face to face, again, when you're face to face, maybe people don't have the cojones to, to say certain things. Right. The the amount of people that are in there is not the same. And I do think that there is a an accountability thing. And again, like it doesn't have to be in the in the, the full auditorium setting, for lack of a better term. Well it, the the it, whole thing change the dynamic of the requirements that the league have, have has of players like Stefan Diggs is supposed to talk after every game he's supposed to be available once per week and then talk after the game if he's requested he didn't talk after any game all season long Jerry Hughes didn't talk all season long until the very end of the year and he still never talked after the game you don't have that opportunity to say no to that when you have a gaggle of reporters walking up to you in the locker room and we wouldn't be sitting here wondering at least without the opportunity, what the heck happened with Tyler Bass at the end of the game? Because after that game, you know, one of the first people that everyone would have gone to is Tyler Bass. Yeah. When Steven Hauschka missed kicks, when things like that, when, when someone has a penalty, when something someone drops a pass, whatever it is, those are the people that you can go to. You don't have to wonder who's on the special teams unit that you can talk to. You would go straight to them. And I honestly, like after thinking about it for weeks now, who are you protecting? Like, like, to not make Tyler Bass available. All they've said all year long is the swag that this kid has. He's got so much swag he can't answer for one mistake. Scott Norwood came back and answered for every yeah. question that anybody had for missing the biggest kick in the history of this organization. It's a disservice. And like, listen, if Sean McDermott doesn't want to throw him under the bus, I get it. But to not make him available. That's egregious. And this is what I was tweeting about, and some fans took in like issue with it. Like, there's not a responsibility to the fans to answer for a mistake. You're damn right there is. Yeah, there is. There there's, is. There's, there's, there's 70,000 people filling that thing every week that deserve an answer because, listen, Bill's fans, like, they're not they're not Dolphins fans, you know? They're not, they're not like, you know, Houston Texans fans. These are fans that live and breathe Bill's football, 365. It's why... My whole gig is as possible as popular as it is because they don't there's no day that happens, whether it be in the middle of May or the middle of a playoff run where this thing isn't at the top of their mind. They want to they want to talk about it. So to not make that available, I think it's a disservice. And it's it's saying it's telling me something about what they think Tyler Bass can handle. If he made a mistake, own it. I, I and, go ahead. and to your point, who wants it to go back to normal? I think there were some players that value it, whether it's brand building, whether it's they genuinely like talking to some of us, whether it's they feel like they're more fairly represented in the in the face-to-face -face setting. But I think as an overall organizational and league-wide thing, I think they love being able to control the message. And I understand why they like to do that. They, they like to control the message. They like to control when... You know, let's let things blow over and we'll let you talk to Tyler Bass in training camp. Well, people are still going to want to know yeah. the answer nine it's months gonna be from as, now. It's not going away. It's going to be as 
but but you know what I'm saying. Sure. It's not going to be as as hostile as fresh as it would have been immediately after that, or when certain guys went on the COVID list and we never talked to them again, or things like that. I, I think from a team and organizational and league standpoint, they like the way things were limited under this capacity. But I do think there are some people in that room who, again, enjoyed it. Like Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer were two guys that were thrown, obviously, in the forefront of this. I actually think they enjoyed the face-to-face stuff. They, they, they like the way and the dynamic of that. But I do think that there are some people that, you know, it'll be interesting how things go and, and how the dynamic between the PFWA and the league and how they're able to, to get back to normal, hopefully, for next season. We are here at Imperial Pizza. By the way, quick funny story, and then I want to talk some actual Buffalo Bills here too. <laughs> we were going over wings that we were going to have tonight, and Matt mentioned something about the Smitty Barbie. Somebody on Twitter uh, yeah. told you about the Smitty Barbie. Pat Malacaro, shout out. Yeah. Uh, voice of the Bisons. <laughs> yeah, and he said something about heat, and you go, I like a little bit of heat. I had to pull an executive move here. I said, dude, you don't want that heat, man. <laughs> I'm so, so glad that you did because, like, I'm feeling it right now. Like, just, like, how much we just ate. If I would have had super hot wings, we would have been taking, like, timeout, TV timeouts. <laughs> I've, had, I've had wings there so many times. I, I can't even count how many times I've had wings there. And I'm telling you right now, I'm kind of like you. I like heat, but I don't like absurd heat. Right. Like, Marcel loved the hotter the better. I'm right. not that guy. I right. don't like that. These Sully barbecue wings here. I literally couldn't finish the three. I wow. couldn't even get through three of them. And I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, we got to do a podcast after yeah. we eat. I'm like your mouth's going to be on fire the whole time. <laughs> Great so, call. So that's why we I didn't appreciate have, you. That's why we didn't have Sully barbecue here, Ren. Um. Anyway, so I want to talk about this bill season quickly that just passed. And looking back now as reporters, how, when you look back at the season, is it a success or is it a failure? Because you can look at it from obviously both ends. There's a lot of teams that make it to a championship game that are young and they look like they're going to be around for a long time, and then they fall off. It, we see it happen a lot. That didn't happen with the Bills. They came back. They won their division. They probably – they were one of the best teams in the NFL, maybe. But they didn't get it done. They didn't even get to the championship this year. They lost to Kansas City. Now, again, last year in 2020, you could say, yeah, they made it to the championship, but they weren't on the same level as Kansas City, and that showed. This year, different story. They showed – that they were just as good as Kansas City, and they should have beat them. And they, obviously they didn't. But So when you look back at this season in its totality, should you uh, be confident going forward? Or is this really concerning that this felt like this was definitely the year? I don't like to use the word failure. I say underachieving. And okay. it's not because of they lost a round prior. I just thought they were certainly inconsistent for three quarters of the season. They didn't look like the same team from a year ago, even though the same cast was basically in place. And that really goes offensively. Defensively, obviously the numbers and things like that say that they were a better unit. Offensively, I think for whatever reason, they struggled to find consistency. And I think there's blame to be passed across. I don't think Brian Dable was calling the same games as he, as he was a year ago. I don't think Josh early on the season, maybe first half, was as crisp as he was, maybe that's because defenses were playing differently. Um, I, I just don't think that they were as dynamic as they should have been. And it took getting punched in the mouth in the first half in Tampa and saying, we're going to let Josh run again. We're going to go multiple. We're going to use motion. We're going to throw it to all these different receivers. 
for them to finally seem to get to get rolling at the end. And ironically, it's the defense that couldn't that couldn't live up to what they had done up to that point. So I say it's underachieving, and the, and I agree. Thirteen seconds is going to haunt people because I I honestly think they were the most talented team and best team, especially where they were playing in the National Football League. And, and I think. I understand Cincinnati beat Kansas City, and I yeah. wasn't willing to just bypass the AFC right, Championship right. game like many were. But I truly believe we'd be sitting here right now talking about the Bills and the you Super Bowl. You would be sitting there. You guys would be getting ready to go to L.A. Or if you were, we, we would, would be, be in L.A. LA. You would be in Thanks LA. for reminding me, Sorry, Pat. Sorry, guys. <laughs> well, I was on a show today. Who was I doing a show? Oh, I was talking to Eric Wood He because uh, we, we talked about the new O-line coach today. It's going to be on the podcast tomorrow. Shout out. Shout out. Download it. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, we were talking about watching Cincinnati like content this week, and they're, like they're shipping out to LA today. He's like, yeah, it would have been cool to cover a Super Bowl, right? So I agree with everything he just said. The thing for me, though, as I've kind of went back and, and taken some time to reflect on the season, the most important thing, if you go back to the start of training camp, right, and you go back to all the storylines, what was the most important thing if you were a Bills fan to happen this year? It wasn't to win a Super Bowl. It was to know that Josh Allen is the guy. Yeah. And we found that out definitive, sure. definitively this yeah. season, right? Yeah, absolutely. So from that perspective, I think that the season was a success. The problem is you go back and, and, and who has Josh Allen been compared to his entire career? Cam Newton. He had one year, right, where he went to the Super Bowl. They didn't get it done. He was the MVP that year, right? Like he had that small window of success. And I think that's the fear is that the way Josh Allen plays the game, how long is this sustainable? I think he's a different player than Cam Newton. I think that the way that he wins with his arm and the way that, you know, the, the arm strength, everything about his game, I think you could say, you could make an argument that every part of it is better than what Cam Newton was. But that was a really good Carolina Panthers team mm -hmm. that never was able to get over the hump. And I have questions about Sean McDermott long-term. As a game manager... As a, as a team manager, like there were things that happened this year that I thought were really interesting. I agree with everything that he said from the start of training camp about COVID. Like I thought people, I thought guys should just get vaccinated because it gave you your team, which is what you were signing up to come be a part of the best chance to win. Yeah, competitive advantage. Sure. But the way that he went about it and he was so, he's not... He's not demonstrative in the medium about anything, but he was about that one thing. Yeah. And there were plenty of people talking about this when Cole Beasley was going off before camp even opened about how much this was going to potentially be a problem. And he thought it was the right move to pound the table and say, everybody's going to follow this directive or else we're going to be in big trouble. And they ended up being in big trouble. And who knows how the season goes. Maybe Cole Beasley and Gabe missed that game and they lose. And the, and the, and the maybe they don't even make the playoffs. Like who... Who knows? You know, there were things during the season with, you know, uh, player moves and, you know, how he handles his coaching staff at times. And the report that came out, uh, Brian Flores saying that an executive from the Giants told him that Brian Dable wanted out of Buffalo no matter what. Whether Now, there's no way really to, to tell you if that's true or sure. not. But I don't know about you, John, but I definitely sensed a heightened, like, hint of discord in the building where that has been 
what has been the strength of this operation since McDermott's been here. And it's going to get tougher as the years go along. I mean, there's going to be a lot of moving parts. Ken Dorsey's never called a play in the NFL. What if this doesn't go right from the jump next year? Cole Beasley's not back. They have to remake that wide receiver room a little bit. You know, offensive line, you got to cut Darrell Williams because it's it saves you $8 million. Who's replacing him? Is the offensive line as good? There's a new offensive line coach. A lot of questions. And I think that there are questions, and you had a real opportunity to win this year, and you didn't. I agree with that in regards to it's amazing. I, I didn't even realize it. So Aaron Rodgers, arguably one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. He's always been surrounded by good teams, right? He's made it to one Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Ben Roethlisberger won two. What did he make it to two? No. Uh, Peyton Manning made it to three in like 15 years. Dan Marino made it to one his second year and never made it back. And it's like even the greatest quarterbacks, Russell Wilson hasn't been back. And by and large, Seattle, I know not as much now, but Drew Brees. So you look at the greatest quarterbacks of the past 20 years, not named Tom Brady, that by and large usually had really good teams that made the playoffs year in and year out, and they couldn't even make it even back to the Super Bowl. I'm not even talking about winning. They just had really hard times. Now, yes, Tom Brady played a large part in that in regards to like Manning and some of these other people, but he was in the AFC. So what does that say for Rodgers? What does that say for Breeze? What does that say for some of the, for Russell Wilson? So that's where just in general, even if the Bills had won this year, it's just, and you hear players and coaches say it, and it's true. It is so hard to win and not just win games and win divisions. It is so hard to get to the Super Bowl and win it. And that's why like, I really appreciate what the Rams have done. They're like, I don't need to look at a five, six year window with all of these first year picks. Because even if I follow this traditional pattern of building a team, that doesn't guarantee that I'm going to reach, even have an opportunity to get to this game Mm -hmm. year in and year out. So just let's push all of our chips in the middle, say screw the first round picks. I don't need to wait a year or two or guess that this guy at pick 25 or this guy at 29 is going to be good. I know what Jalen Ramsey is. I know what Von Miller is. I know what Matthew Stafford is. Don't listen to Matt Perino about it. But, like, I know who these guys are. I know who these guys are. I don't know for sure what they are. That's why when people are like, oh, Stephon Diggs and Justin Jefferson are the same. I don't care if Justin Jefferson's cheaper and productive for where the Bills were and where the Bills are. And in that situation, taking the what you know about Stephon Diggs of what you might have out of a Justin Jefferson or someone else – the Bills made the right decision, and just to go overall, you don't know, even when they bring the entire team back from a year ago that made the AFC Championship game, they didn't make it any farther, and you don't know as good as Josh could be an MVP candidate for the next 10 years. Who knows, even with that, if they'll ever have this opportunity again. Just something quick before we move on. I want to get this in. Part of what's made the Ram it's not Stafford related. We don't have to cover that. <laughs> Part of what's made the Rams play in all this and how they built it, what Les Snead has done out there, is it's almost been a a vote of confidence for Sean McVay. 
Like, we're going to get Sean McVay a bunch of pieces, right? Defensively, or, but more so offensively. Odell Beckham Jr., uh, Matthew Stafford. They went out and traded guys for him. Who's Brandon Bean going to do that for, for Sean McDermott? He, he, all he talks about is, like, the 111th and, like, not valuing the one guy. Whereas I feel like Sean McVay got to the point where he's like, yeah, get me a good quarterback because Jared Goff stinks. Like, when are we going to get to the point where Sean McDermott gets an, a game-changing elite pass rusher? Because guess what? Respect the process. I respect the rotation. You need one. I think that's something that we figured out at this point. So if they continue to neglect that, that also gives me even greater questions about the potential of this regime to win a Super Bowl. Let me say this, and I want to piggy. I got two more Bills points, and I want to talk over Kai here to end this. Yes. I want to piggyback off what you said. Your your biggest fear with the Bills, or one of them, is if you're especially if you're a Bills fan, is about Josh Allen. Mine is this, going back and being a Bills fan my whole life, and again, I am a Bills fan. I ain't covering a team professionally. I'm, guess what? I'm still a Bills fan. I'm going to tell everyone that right now. But in all seriousness, the team, the Super Bowl teams were resilient, and we used to hear that word all the time with Marvin Levy, the, the resiliency of that team. I'm concerned until shown otherwise, and I guess we'll have to find that out next year. But you come within 13 seconds of beating Kansas City, you know in your heart of hearts, you should have beat them. There was It was unfathomable to lose the way they did. No disrespect, like you said, to Cincinnati. You can't just glance over them like they're not even there. But you got a home game in Orchard Park for an opportunity to go to Super Bowl. You got to be thinking it's not it's not going to get handed to you any easier than that. Lamar Jackson's hurt. Baltimore's decimated by injuries. The Chiefs were very flawed this year. Lots of problems around the AFC. It was, it was there for the Bills to take. You know, Justin Herbert's not there yet. They didn't do that. Now their resiliency is going to be tested this year because does that hang? You know, lots of teams get to the championship or, or get to a certain level, and then they don't get over that hump for various reasons, and I think resiliency is one of them. And when I look back at those Bill Super Bowl teams, as an older fan, that's what I remember the most is every year they got knocked down, the media would kill them. I remember Mike Lubick was begging for the Bills to not make the Super Bowl wide a third one, you know, because uh-huh. they were going to embarrass the league, and they got there and they got killed. But they got back. You know what I'm saying? The resiliency of this team is going to really be tested this offseason and in the next season. I think what may help that is they're going to be forced to inject some new blood into this roster. It's not going to be able to carry over everyone like they did this past year. Is it going to be sweeping changes? No. But I I think there's going to be added dynamics into the passing game at the wide receiver position because they just don't have it. Um, I think... There, there may be some additions on the offensive line. I agree, defensive line. You're losing guys like Addison and, and potentially Jerry Hughes. Um, who knows what they do at the cornerback position, whether Levi leaves, if they bring someone in as protection, if Tredavious White isn't, isn't ready. I, I mean, and now you have, a, a, the, for the first time in a long time, shuffling on the coaching staff because they've – They've had such great stability there, and all of this continuity and stability has been looked at as a positive. And I think as a building block from where they were five years ago to now, I I think that that's true. And I'm not saying that they tapped out their potential with the group that they had, but I do think maybe adding in some fresh voices, some fresh presence, some some fresh concepts coaching-wise and whatnot, I think that that could maybe help keep things fresh for them in regards to their resiliency in regards to not everyone on this team is hung up on 13 seconds 
because not everyone was there. The prominent key pieces, the majority, yes. Right. But Aaron Cromer wasn't there. Joe Brady wasn't there. And we'll see defensively if there are changes maybe in the coaching staff or with the personnel-wise of like, you know, some people are like, if you, maybe if you have a different cornerback, that guy doesn't have any history or does, wasn't there for the scar of what Tyreek Hill did in the final two minutes, whether it be the long touchdown or him and Kelsey ripping off the 40-plus yards for there. So maybe that will help a little bit. And I also just think in general, this team plays better when people are doubting them. Yes. That, to me, going into the season was one of my biggest questions was, you guys have been the hunters for four years. Now you guys are the hunted. You're not sneaking up on anyone. And you know when they started playing their best football? When they're the seventh seed, they lose back-to-back games, and people are talking about New England and how they're not that good and how they may not even make the playoffs. And that's when they play their best football. I think maybe 13 seconds. And to your point, all those other teams who are down and Cincinnati rising up, they're not going to be talked about as prominently heading into next season as they were. And I think that's just how they like it. Yeah. I think they have the second best odds to win the Super Bowl next year. But I still think Cincinnati is going to be – I'm not saying people won't pick them. Right. But people are probably going to expect Lamar Jackson to bounce back. People are going to expect Justin Herbert to take a step forward. Joe Burrow is going to be there. Aaron Rodgers might end up in Denver. Who knows there? And then you still have Kansas City, who I agree was flawed, who is going to continue to tinker and still be there. So instead of maybe looking at the AFC as you did entering this season and saying it's going to be Kansas City and Buffalo once again, especially since at the early part, I mean, Baltimore was already on their fifth running back at that point. I think you're going to look at them as in the group of three or four or five teams in the AFC. One more Bills point here. We've heard, and it's easy, again, as a Bills fan, when you don't make the playoffs for 17 years, it's any sign of progress is good. And the whole trust the process, it's a process, you know, process, 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 process. Four years of it now since, I mean, since the Bills have even been good, five years. Then you see a team like Cincinnati, who is 4-11-1 last year. This year they have a quarterback. Uh, he's not a rookie. He's a second-year quarterback. But it's his first full season in the NFL. His first full season in the NFL. Again, a team that picked fifth in the draft one year ago. Won four games one year ago. Top five pick. One year later, they, they're in the Super Bowl. And, for, and again, let's not disrespect them because at the end of the day, they did go to Tennessee. They did beat the number one seed on the road. They did go to Kansas City. They beat the number two seed on the road to get to the Super Bowl, and they went from complete garbage laughingstock. Now, again, they, would they have been 4-11-1 if Burrow didn't get hurt last year? No. But they weren't a playoff team last year, and now they're in the Super Bowl. That, does that kind of like, if you're a Bills fan sitting there, trust the process, well, how long is this process when you see a team like Cincinnati just come up and bam? I think it's what we've been talking about. I mean, I think it's an indictment of the team-building philosophy you know, that the Bills have used. And if you look at the, the two teams that are in the Super Bowl, you know, I think Kansas City got lucky in a lot of ways in that their draft picks really developed into the superstars of their team, right? Like Kelsey and, and Hill, they're, they don't win a Super Bowl without those two guys, right. right? Whether or not they have Mahomes or not, those two guys were key in that. For the Bills, I mean, 
you know, what they their whole motto of draft, develop, and and resign. I mean, it's it's been really good. It's changed it's it's changed the course of a franchise, which is great. But getting them over that hump, you have to evolve a little bit in your thinking. And seeing how the Rams and, and the Bengals have done it, they 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 zeroed in on elite players. And they went out and they spent the money, spent the draft capital. Like I think Jeremy White was talking about it this week, like on, on the on the morning shows on GR, about are are you at the point as a Bills fan where you're okay with them giving up first round draft picks to go out and get elite players? Yes, yes, yeah. I've been saying this for a long time now. Like I don't know where he's at in his prime years or how much he has left. This might not be the perfect example, but if you're telling me that you can't trade and restructure a Khalil Mack for a one-year run, even if it's a one-year run to be that dynamic player, I don't know. He might not have enough left to make that to hit for him to be the guy. I get what you're saying. But though. you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Go out and sign a Trey Hendrickson if you think that he's going to come in here and give you 10-plus sacks. When's the last time the Bills had a 10-plus sack guy? The problem is they've also relied way too much on the people that they know as opposed to scouting the people that they don't. Some of the biggest success stories in this build have been guys that they've trusted, the Dan Morgans, the Terrence Grays, the Malik Boyds, who've, who've gone out and said, hey, I've worked with Stephon Diggs. I've worked with people that work with him. I trusted him. I know Sean McDermott doesn't know him and Brandon Bean doesn't know him, but bring him in here. He's going to produce for you. Somebody in Cincinnati might have said that about Trey Hendrickson and had somebody in the Bills said it. They bring him in. Maybe he's the difference. Yeah. I don't know if that's necessarily the case because I think schematically is where they fell, where they faltered against the Chiefs in that divisional round game. But they got to evolve. I think that's the key for me in, in terms of what they have to do. Evaluate everything that they do in their operation and figure out what they need to change about themselves. Just look at some of these final teams. And you mentioned stars. How many stars do the Bills have? Especially offensively, defensively. No. Tredavious White. He's John not even viewed as a star around the league, though. It's true. Uh, Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen. That's who that's I'd it. say. And that's it. And you look at, let's just look at Cincinnati. I mean, they Burrow. have Jamar Chase and Jamar Burrow. Chase. Um, I think, like Mixon, I think is a very, very, very good player. Um, yeah, I, I think Mixon is. He gets more hype around the league than maybe like a Dawson Knox, who was arguably a top three tight end this season. Right, and then obviously L.A. is is just full yeah, of them. Sure. Um, and, and even you know you go to Tampa, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, obviously Gronk. Brady, you go on the defensive side of things, you look at their defensive front, regardless of where they are at their career, you're dealing with Vita Vea and Dominican Sue. Shaq. Uh Shaq Barrett. Jean Pierre or JPP, Jason Pierre Pierre Paul. Uh, JPP and like these are guys that especially during their Super Bowl run were, were very effective. Levante David and things like that. And you're like, all right, yeah, I the Bills have built it very, very well organically. But at some point, I, I agree. Like with Diggs, you need to supplement it with a boost of, of of talent. And I think they know that. They just haven't been willing to go super far in. Like them going after J.J. Watt the way they did, to me says like they were kind of towing the line of, well, this guy's good, but he's not five years younger and a complete difference maker to where we're really going right. to have to pony it up. There. And I bet JJ Watt saw that they, how hard, let me ask you guys this. How hard is it for them to pivot? 
How hard is it going to be for them to pivot? Because they have one big pivot that they might have to make here pretty soon with Tremaine Edmonds going into his fifth year. Like, you might have to pivot and literally just walk away from the player. Like, I know that sounds crazy with all the time they've spent developing him, but who knows? Like, Bob Babbage is getting a little bit older. What are they going to do at linebackers? What's the succession plan there? Like, Matt Milano, they paid him a lot of money. He was really good at times last year, but he was really not good in that Kansas City game, and yeah. they're paying him a lot of money. What are you going to do? Like, do you pivot and go to, okay, we're going to put all of our time and energy in the defensive line. We're going Everybody said, like, when I mentioned, like, Wink Martindale and Vic Bangio as kind of interesting options for the Bills at defensive coordinator, should Leslie Frazier get a job? Well, that's not a scheme fit for the bit. That's not what Sean McDermott does. Well, maybe what Sean McDermott does isn't the answer. And maybe he's better as a head coach, as a CEO, and letting somebody in come in here and run the defense. Maybe they got to, maybe they have to pivot. Do they have the ability to pivot? I don't know. I got one more question. I lied because you said a name that I got to mention now. You said Gronk. And I got in some beef this week with people on Twitter. Big, big, you? big time. Yes. Get out of town. I said, I, I put out there that I said, if Gronk decides to not retire and he doesn't reside with Tampa, if Tampa, it looks like, you know, they're going to lose a lot of free agents besides just, I mean, Brady's retired. If he, if he doesn't sign with Tampa and he, and he wants to play another year, I think Buffalo would be a good fit for him. If he plays next year, hot take, I think he's a bell. Okay. Now let me ask you this. I got tore up for that shit. Fans went after me hard. Because everybody's hung up the on the Trey, Trey White, White thing. thing. So let me ask you guys, two professionals here who covered a team for a living, I'm not saying you necessarily know this, but what does your gut tell you? If the Bills went to Trey White and said, hey, if they would even bother doing that, but if they did, let's just say they do, hey, Trey, we're thinking about bringing Gronk in here for a one-year deal. Do you think, in your opinion, is Trey White going to be like, no, nah, he, he tried to take me out four years ago, which it was a dirty, filthy, cheap shot. All right? I'm not downplaying what happened, the incident. But do you think four years later the Bills wouldn't want to upgrade and add to their roster with Gronk because Trey White wouldn't want him here? Or maybe I'm wrong. They I, were considerable I, do way down the road with him right, I, I last think year. They, they would consult with Tredavious. Sure. But I honestly think that's squashed anyways. And on top of it, I think Tredavious and guys of his stature, unless there's like serious beef. But an on-the-field incident like that I don't consider serious, serious beef. I think that he would say... Well, damn, if I can put Knox and Gronk on our team, we're going to be an even more explosive team. Sure, and yeah. anything of that magnitude, they would, even if it, even if there is something lingering, unless it's like prominent, which I don't think it is, I think these guys would put it behind them for the sake of trying to win. Brandon Bean said that they were having conversations with their representatives, seeing what the interest level was at. You don't do that unless you're confident that bringing him into the building means that things will work out with a guy like Trey White. And Trey White's a professional. Listen, I, I know, like, you know, you talk about the, the fun little wars with him and Stephon Diggs and the one-on-ones. In all honesty, Rob Gronkowski and Tredavious White aren't spending a ton of time together in the season. They're not, like, you know, going out for beers or going to Bar Bill in East Aurora. You know, it's I, – I don't foresee it being a problem. And at the end of the day, this these, these guys value championship experience. It's why – they were so interested in, you know, all these guys over the years. Like, even Mitch Morris, who didn't go to a championship, one of the things they talked about was the playoff experience and, like, coming up and, and being around that kind of success. And who has had more success in the NFL over the last decade than Rob Gronkowski? Right. Yeah. There's not many. Tom Brady, and that's about it. Yeah, it, it, it annoys me when fans say that. I, I, I But can't. they're fans, and I get it. Like, 
they're sticking up for Trey and Trey's like goalie academy and he's like he's I a fan Trey. favorite. No, and you you can love Trey and still want to get better at the tight end position because guess what? I love Tommy Sweeney personally. Like we talk about it, you talk about the locker room. We'd go in the locker room and hang out with Tommy Tommy Sweeney, talk about just BSing, like about just regular life stuff. Like I don't root for it anymore, but he's a guy that I hope he does well because he's a good dude. I think they need to upgrade tight end too. Yeah. As a, as an unbiased reporter, I think that they do, and that is an upgrade. I also think his personality ultimately would fit really well. I mean, yeah. they're a really loose, fun-loving group, mm-hmm. and he fits the exact mold of not ever covering him, but just from what you can tell and you read and, and you hear, he's all business when it's time to do business, and he is gronk. When he gets in front of the camera, when it when it's time to, to when you could show personality, that's who he is. And there are a lot of other guys on this team who I think are the same. Speaking of let's getting down to business here, let's get down to business. We're gonna end this with a couple minutes. And again, if you're listening and you have not watched Cobra Kai and you think you might want to watch it. You wanna come in for this part, honey? Turn this shit off right now. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs> I appreciate you. All right, so New Year's Eve, Christmas or uh, season four of Cobra Kai dropped. I love this show. I like you guys. I respect the hell out of you guys. I talk to you all the time. I would have you on regardless, but I was extra excited to have you on because I wanted to find two people who, well, even if you hated Cobra Kai, I wanted someone who would have a take, an opinion on Cobra Kai. Mm-hmm. I thought season four was the best season yet. Now, I don't know wow, if you agreed with that. Hot take. And what I, I'll tell you what, and we'll go around and, and talk about it a little bit. What I love about this series the most is it's modern, mm-hmm. but it still continuously pays homage. It rewards you. If you watched Karate Kid 1, 2, and 3, it's constantly referencing. And it's not even cheap little gimmicky references either. I mean, there's major central storylines in today's series that continuously go back to the Karate Kid movies. And I love the way they kind of intertwine. Do you feel like it would be a reward or a punishment if next season they brought on Hillary Swank? From oh, the next Karate oh, Kid. Uh, Do you feel uh, like that would be like... I don't count that. What, with Will Smith's kid? Miyagi, though. Like, it wasn't yeah. Danielson. But it was but I Miyagi. Feel like, I feel like that could, like, unite... Like, that could be a Miyagi storyline to bring, like, Danielson and um, Hillary Swank together on season five. That's just, like, a hot take that I have for, like, the real Karate Kid faithful. Because I was. And I was ready for the next Karate Kid. And it was an epic failure. Yeah, but that was terrible. I, Wait, this is the one with Will Smith's kid, right? Yes. No. no. There's oh. another one? Oh, no, that was the one. No, no, no. He's, he, Matt's right. Hillary Swank. The next Karate Kid was, right? Was that the name of it? Yes. Hillary Swank. Yeah. Like, Miyagi was like, it was no more like Daniel LaRusso. This was like the next generation. That was a remake, te- technically, right? Of Karate Kid 1? Yeah, yeah. I didn't really remember the storyline of the Will Smith Son one because I never watched it. So I, I never watched it. it. I never watched it in its entirety. I tried right. to watch it and I couldn't get into it. I also didn't know at the time that many, many years later we'd be watching a Netflix series that I can't get my eyes <laughs> but, off of. But you're right. Like season or Cobra Kai is the ultimate. Like you binge it and you love it because it takes you back to the movies. Yeah. And I loved the movies growing up. Like I would watch Karate Kid one over and over and over again, and I. I watched all three. I never, ever, even for a second, considered Johnny LaRusso or Johnny Lawrence as like the baby face of this all, which he is now. He like is. I look back at the original movies and I freaking hate Daniel. <laughs> I'm like, dude, why'd you have to do my man Johnny Lawrence like this, dude? Like, 
I, I, I've fallen in love with Johnny Lawrence. He is the reason I watch Cobra Kai. He is the best part of the show. He and, is. And it, to your point, the, it is the, the pendulum swing. <laughs> yes. Of everyone's on Danielson through the, the originals. And then you, you see what happened to, to Johnny. And even <laughs> like you look at the when you when you pin together from Johnny's perspective, Cobra Kai versus LaRusso and Miyagi Do, I'm like, I would totally be a Cobra Kai and tell Mr. Wax on, wax off, Mr. <laughs> Defense, this sucks. You know, I agree with both you guys. And beyond that, being the hit also, him and a man aren't the best parents on earth either. I mean, they're not doing a really good job raising their kids. Yeah, just like letting them beat the crap out of everybody. That's another thing. <laughs> you want to talk about the pendulum swing a little bit. Season four, she was the one who continuously with Tori was constantly going after her, man. You know what I'm saying? Um, the kid, what was his name? Anthony? I think his name is Tony. The kid, oh, yeah, Daniel's yeah. kid. He, he, I mean, yeah, he wasn't the one necessarily doing it, but he was guilty by association. Bullying that kid, Kenny, mm -hmm. that continuously bullies. He's got a son who's a bully and a daughter who, who's trying to pick a fight with somebody who, for, quite frankly, whoop her ass. Right. Right, because they, <laughs> they start off as the victims, and yeah. then they learn how to defend themselves, and then it's like, it's like, I mean, it's anyone who was picked on, and then you hit the weight room, and then you're like, well, I ain't going to do this anymore, <laughs> and I'm just going to be the aggressor. I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a natural, normal thing. I have to admit, you're going to have to help me with some of the names. I am really Johnny Lawrence in this show, and I don't really know all of the like supporting characters. What is um, Daniel's daughter's name? Amanda. I don't know. Uh, Samantha. Samantha. So here's the thing with her: when the show started back in season one, like the big thing was remember, just like a low key storyline was she had given up karate. Like Daniel like taught her it like with Miyagi back in mm -hmm. the day, and she's like, I want nothing to do it. I don't even remember how it just flipped and she was like, I am going to be king of the world and beat everybody's <laughs> butt in the tournament. Now she's like this like supercharged, super warrior fighter. And I'm just like, that part of it doesn't like, whenever she's on the on camera, her and the Tory scenes, I'm just like, this isn't really believable because you never figured, you never explained that for me early on in the season to make me like get invested in that. And it wasn't even like she was trying, you're shaking your head. I thought it was because she wanted Most to, get, to get closer to her father because he was starting <laughs> no. to teach Miyagi though. No, did he? No, he wanted to hang out with um, um, Diaz, right? No, Diaz is Johnny Lawrence. Yeah, but she he she was dating him at the start, right? Right, but he took on um, Lawrence's kid, and that's how that started. Robbie, going. Robbie. Yeah, but maybe she was just a little bit jealous that the two boys were getting into all these things, and she had all these skills. Like, does she want to kind of show? Maybe that was what was happening. That was supposed to be just be assumed. Anyway, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this. I'm just saying that's one of the problems is like some of these secondary characters, like I would like a little bit more depth in their story. Like I want the depth in the Johnny and Daniel story. Like when he went to J um, Japan, was it? Tokyo? Yes. Where did he go? Japan. Yes. And he, and he reunited with Chosen and his girlfriend back in the day. That was phenomenal. I love those scenes. It was perfect. Let's get to this season, though. Let's fast forward. This is what this is about. My number one beef with this season, and it was great, and why I will say it's not the best. Terry Silver did not bring the fire, okay? Mm. If you go back to Karate Kid 3, everybody says it was terrible, and I didn't love it, to be honest with you. But it's, I was such a Karate Kid stan that I always went back and I, and I appreciated it. Terry Silver was, was badass. 
Like, he came in and he made Daniel's knuckles bleed. What is this nonsense? Like, I don't know. Like, even when he came back to, to crease, it was like he was always kind of just dipping his toe in the water. And then all of a sudden, like that, at the end, he's like sending crease to jail. Yeah, it's like, like, I don't like the way the season ended. Exactly. Oh, sorry. Spoiler. Well, what, what we're giving spoilers. Well, we, already, right? we already pre-warned people. Okay. There, right, there's right, definitely right. spoilers. I don't agree with you, though. In terms That's shocking. Of- shocking. <laughs> The characters in development. I actually think there was good character development this season more than the others. For Silver? What, well, no, not with Silver. Okay. But, like, for an example, Tori. They showed a lot more of her stories yes. and struggles with I her family. I agree with that. Um, Hawk won the team. He ended up winning the All-Valley Tournament. Uh-huh. I thought he had a good role in it. He, they really humanized him. Um, not for good reasons, but, again, the, the daughter, Samantha, I thought she was, you know, she was she was almost a borderline bully in this season. Not Tori. Right. Um um, Daniel's uh, wife, Amanda, mm-hmm. she she tried to uh, help take care. She tried to help Tori out a little bit. You know what I mean? That was a real conflict considering that she almost killed her daughter mm. in a fight. You know what I mean? So I think there was some decent, the new character, Kenny, who was, which I thought was pretty cool. I mean, he was bullied really bad early in the season. But by the end, you could tell he was turning into a bully. And you could kind of sense going into season five, he's going to be that guy. You know right. what I mean? Because you got to figure at some point. These kids, how, how long can they go to high school or be in, the, <laughs> be in this All-Valley tournament? I mean, what did you get seven? they didn't start when they were 12 years old. So, uh, I don't know. But I, I thought there was pretty good development. Was there any point in the season, John, or not even the season, the series, I should say, we all got into it for at least some regards, nostalgic reasons, I, I, I think. Did you watch it from the jump, by the way? No, I did not watch season one when it first aired. on. Okay. You, it was on YouTube, YouTube only. Yeah. I, I started binging it well, season two. Was there ever a point in any of the series where you almost said, yo, man, this is just too much. I can't take this no more. No. I'm not going to watch it No, either. conversely. There was for me. Conversely. Really? Conversely, I picked it up uh, actually all through. I, I didn't start until the gap between three and four. So okay. I binged oh, one wow. through three. Okay. And then, there were, then I waited. I'm and jealous. then obviously I saw four. And honestly, I think it was COVID or something. My wife's younger, so she isn't really into the karate kid and i'm like well you know what i'm just gonna try it i don't know if you and i i think i started it without us even talking about it and then like we did but um no i liked it and i agree the best part of the show is how they they integrate past with the current storyline so well it's never forced it never seems hokey like we talked about the Matrix, the new Matrix movie. Ugh. Sorry if you've seen it; it's not that great. But they but one of their biggest issues, in my opinion, is they are just they so poorly are incorporating the original and the past of the series. And I'm like, I hate this for that reason. Cobra Kai feel completely different. I would say there was one point where I almost said, I just can't take this shit anymore. And again. I know it's not real. I know it's not realistic. It's kind of like Saved by the Bell meets uh, Melrose Place, some kind of drama. You know what I mean? I love this shit, and I'm very nostalgic. I live for 80s stuff, 90s stuff, music, TV, I was going to say, what's movies. wrong with Saved by the Bell, bro? I love Saved by the oh, Bell. Okay. That was a compliment. It wasn't an insult. Okay. But this, Dan in the second season, with the two-hour fight in the cafeteria or in the school, how long does a fight go on for? That many people fighting, and the way the cameras just cut from it's scene to scene, it was it was the corniest, cheesiest shit. And again, I like corny and cheesy to an extent, but that was just terrible. Well, the fact that no cops, no, I mean, he, what one or two people that he try to falls break it up? off the banister, is paralyzed, and then Johnny Lawrence's cockamie 
hanging them from the freaking ceiling and taking them to rock concerts and voila. He's good. He's a, he's almost an all-valley champ again. That that part was a bit of a, I'm like. The fight just went out for too long, right. man. It just, too, nobody got in. Nobody broke it up. They just said. As soon as man. he fell off that balcony, though, you knew they were going to bring him back somehow. Right. Like, come on. I mean, we, it, it, you got to have a little bit of, you got to give him a little leeway there with that part of it. But I do get it. Like, there are pieces of the show that are very, like, unbelievable and would never happen but like my biggest my biggest like complaints are about like i don't know like what what are your guys thoughts on crease like crease is like if you go back to the original series like they give a little bit of the background like the fact that he was like in the military and mm -hmm. obviously messed up but he was just like this hard-nosed like I'm not going to take nothing from you. I, I expect you to just be a killer, blah, blah, blah. Like, does he have no... And maybe this isn't. Maybe the evolution of Crease is that over the years, he's kind of developing a little bit of a soft spot. He definitely did at the end of the season. Yeah. And so I guess in that respect, I like that. I, I think yeah. there's some real character development there. Um, and maybe he's come back... And I'm just having this epiphany right now as we're talking. But maybe he's <laughs> he's come back to the Valley to, like find that for himself like that side of himself sure. i don't know the next season is going to be interesting i think crease and lawrence somehow are going to reunite yeah and and that's how it may go be, against it, daniel well it may be like a three-headed three-headed attack there so silver's going to have his group crease and lawrence and then daniel yes with Ooh. uh what's his name chosen Chosen, yeah. I will say you could see in season four increasingly, Chris was treating Johnny or thinking of him anyway like like a son, and you could see that turnaround near the end of the season. And one other thing about Johnny too that I really liked a lot, Robbie, his son at mm -hmm. the end, and it was very again this is kind of cheesy and whatever have you, and we enjoy it all, but that was like a legit emotional, almost like tear jerky moment at the, at the end of the season when Robbie really opened up at him and Johnny had a. A really good moment man I, I thought that was really cool and speaking of character development again robbie was really conflicted he what he wanted to be in cobra kai but he didn't you know what i mean so it, there was a lot of conflict there how he was training kenny and, and when kenny he saw kenny kind of snap at the end of it he didn't like that he's like you know mm -hmm. so I, I think there was a lot of depth to his character which again it's kind of funny talking about a series that we all agree is fun and cheesy in a way but it is layered. I thought there was some pretty good storytelling. Is five the final season? Has that been confirmed? No. I don't think so. No. No. No, I, I think it could go maybe six, seven. And listen, if Hillary Swank's in negotiations, this thing could go seven or eight. <laughs> I just think that they really like need to pay homage to Pat Morita, Miyagi. They got to bring Swank in to rectify that disaster. Like, Figure out a way to write a storyline to bring her back, even if it's for just a like a um, Alicia uh, Elizabeth Shue cameo type of thing. Which, by the way, the show has been downhill from there. Sorry, yeah. honey, close your ears. <laughs> that is everybody talks about their childhood crush. Wow, Elizabeth Shue, like in Karate Kid, she was up there for me too. That was elite, and I everything they did with her coming back in the show, I loved. It was like, you know. It was great. Whatever. You can't say anything. We're, we're watching Save by the Bell. My son's starting to watch Save by the Bell. Kelly it's Kapowski. So, oh, my. First of all. Oh, my God. <laughs> we just saw an episode the other day with Kelly Kapowski where I told I literally turned to Caitlin and I said, I don't know if there's a person that can look more perfect than Kelly Kapowski looks in this episode right now. What is going on? She had like a, I don't know. 
How about your wife? You're right. <laughs> what? Yeah, my wife. Look, look, I want to ask you one more question because you said Hillary Swank. I don't know if you guys, how into the office you are, but there was, I don't remember even the season, but there was almost literally an entire episode devoted to Hillary Swank, hot, or not, hot or not. Yeah, yeah. two groups. What's your, what's your verdict if you not. had a vote? I'm going to say she is. I'm going to go not, man. So there's a, a movie that she was in. I can't remember what it was. It might have been Million Dollar Baby. I can't remember. No, I don't think it was that. Can we bring up her uh, filmography? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. What an encyclopedia of pop culture knowledge. Dude, so Mrs. Caitlin, so a little bit about my wife. Come, why don't you just come sit in this part? <laughs> she um, she is an encyclopedia of yeah, film. She, every year, the Oscars, they come out. She texts me like, we got to watch this, this. And actually, today, I was ahead of her. Belfast is like cleaning up, apparently. If, you, if you're into the Oscars, you got to see Belfast because every, there's like a supporting actor, actor, supporting actress, film, whatever. There is a lot of actually intense um, backlash that Spider-Man Far From Home has gotten absolutely nothing. Hmm. What? You're saying it's terrible. Don't look I up. Don't count. Not good, but anyways. Okay. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right, I'll tell you what. We're going to end this here. This this was a lot of fun. If I don't end this now, Bill's camp might start again before we get out of here. This was a lot of fun. Thank you very much. First of all and foremost, Imperial Pizza. Mm. 1035 Abbott Road, South Buffalo. The wings are the Get bomb. the Loganberry, man. Try it out. You will not be mad about it. Yeah, these are really good wings. Good pizza. Good everything, man. Good people, too, man. This is a great place. Great neighborhood. Great area. I love it a lot. Big thanks, Matt Marino, John Scott. Thank all you for listening. Be back. Casual Friday. My buddy, Joe Yurden, on Friday. Talk to you soon. You going to lose again? Yeah, I lose every week. Okay. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems, too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.